0: This is Brian Billick, and I'm glad to be joined by my partner, Dennis Green. Welcome to the Coach Show Podcast. Here we go. First and goal at the seven. Kaepernick drops back into the shotgun. Hunter to his left. And they're going to run an inside give to Hunter, and he's hammered. No, Kaepernick keeps it. Faking left and runs it in for a touchdown. Colin Kaepernick. His play fakes are so good. They make me sound bad. Denny, just some really fascinating games over the weekend, and probably none more so than for me, anyway, when uh, San Francisco was able to go in and beat New Orleans, and the play specifically of Colin Kaepernick. Well, let's talk about that, this unique circumstance where you have a winning quarterback in Alex Smith that is supplanted by a young man that just seems to have unbelievable potential.
1: You know what? The party line is, is that uh, Alex Smith is still semi-injured and didn't practice a lot last week. But I did, did see the interview with, with uh, Jim Harbaugh, and he hasn't totally made up his mind. He hasn't told us. And, you know, I don't know what you do in that situation because Alex Smith was doing nothing wrong. He did everything right. They were, they were winning. They weren't winning as spectacularly as they have with Kaepernick. But I, I think it's going to be a very tough decision.
0: Yeah, and I've been, we've all been in this situation. I know in our Super Bowl run when I had to replace Tony Banks with Trent Dilfer, but that was a different circumstance. Tony Banks had started out well, then had struggled, and we were playing great defense, we were running the ball, we knew we had a championship caliber club, we just couldn't afford the mistakes that being made at the quarterback position, so that was a little bit easier decision, but I tell you what, for my money, and this is not an indictment of Alex Smith, because he has been really, really solid, but I just think there's something special in this Colin Kaepernick young yeah, man. Yeah, I- he one of the sweetest throwing actions. You remember, Denny, when we had Warren Moon in Minnesota. And, and, and to that point, and you're talking about Hall of Famer now, but in, no matter what position his body was in, he had the sweetest ball that came out with the tightest spiral, so accurate. This kid has that quality along with the athletic ability to go with a team that plays great defense, runs the ball, I just think there's something special about this kid in this situation.
1: Yeah, I do, too.
0: Uh, you know, and, and the biggest thing to me, too, is to keep in mind that he did it on the biggest stages. He did it against one of the best defenses in the National Football League in the Chicago Bears, and then in one of the toughest venues on the road in the Superdome. So, uh, yeah, it's not an easy decision, but it's a nice position to be in to know that you've got either one of those guys as a backup. Right. Ravens are going to go for it from their 37-yard line on 4th down and 29. Flacco to throw, has a clean pocket, nobody open. He'll dump it short to Rice at the 40, to the 45, cuts left to midfield. Ray Rice with a stiff arm to the 45, Rice to the 40, got a crushing block at the 35-yard line, and he got the first down. Ray Rice tripped up at the 33-yard line of San Diego. A first down for the Baltimore Ravens. Let's go on to another big, big game, uh, and one that kind of in your backyard, Baltimore being able to uh to overcome uh on the road against San Diego. I talked with both Ozzy Newsom uh and the coaches today, and, and I gotta tell you, uh I've never in my entire life had a category for fourth and twenty nine.
1: <laughs> well uh, you <laughs> the one to have it really is you know what uh, the Chargers have just not been able to create anything this year and and I think defensively they played well except for that particular one play uh, did a pretty good job of setting uh, you know Baltimore down and, and Baltimore is still you know there's still not a team I think that can run up a lot of points even though they've got that quality that you're looking for but you know they, they had so many guys you know be wrong I mean the first thing you always teach the first day of, of football practice defensive football is angles and and, and you know, cutting angles off in the pursuit of the ball and standing in your lanes, all those things that you do. I mean, on the fourth, there really should have been four guys make the tackle. All four of the guys that were dropping underneath the zone easy could have come up and squeezed the right race in. And and they just played reckless and chasing all out full speed. So th- this really could be the nail, uh, you know, unfortunately for, for North Turner simply because what it shows is that the players are not responding to what is pretty obvious, which is that hey, we're gonna drop in our zones, we're gonna make the guy throw, we're gonna come up and tackle it. If he throws it down deep, it's gonna be an interception. If he drops it off, we come up and tackle. And those are things that just show basic preparation.
0: Yeah, and whether whether you whether you think Norb Turner's a good coach or a bad coach or a good head coach or a bad coach. And we both know Norb is one of the good guys in this business, but when you watched him during that situation, you you could see it was like, my God, what else can happen to give up on a fourth and twenty nine the way that they did? Um, you know, you just almost kind of saw a career crumbling in
1: front of your very eyes, and it was hard to see. Well, it is because, you know, they've lost four games in a row, but even losing four games, you know, if they had only lost three games in a row, if they had beat Baltimore yesterday, they still actually would be in the wildcat one. It's it's that, you know, kind of convoluted as far as so many teams with bad records. But that one more record to give them a four and seven makes it very difficult for them.
0: Yeah, and they can still hold on to, and you're right, the record the rest of the way with Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Carolina, the Jets, Oakland. The question becomes, do you think a 9-17 and can make the playoffs in the AFC?
1: You know what? I don't quite think they can. I know one of the questions that people are asking now, because of the fact that Cincinnati and Pittsburgh are both 6-5, and those guys are more likely to be 9-7. and I think it will be very difficult for San Diego to get to 9-7. and
0: yeah, you look at the path for for Indianapolis. at seven and four, and Cincinnati, which is a very intriguing team. I have them in two weeks uh, against uh, Dallas. They play San Diego this week, so Cincinnati, although it is in San Diego, uh, has got a real control of their own destiny. And a couple of weeks ago, it's you know it certainly didn't look that way. So very very intri- intriguing, and I agree with you, Baltimore. Um, it was a great win for them on the road, but there still, still seems to be something a little missing about them, although in a couple weeks, they could get Jimmy Smith and um, Ray Lewis back, and what a, what a boost of confidence that would be for them just at the right time to get those two players back. Yep. Uh, Minnesota and Chicago was an interesting one. I thought a, a missed opportunity for Minnesota, or I should say, I think we saw, I kind of saw maybe the true colors of minnesota and chicago not that we needed any more evidence to know that with jay cutler they can be pretty good without jay cutler they don't have much of a chance
1: No, and they don't. And I think there's still some questions about the offensive line, you know, with the Chicago Bears, I think, against the real good teams. And Minnesota is not one of those real good teams. But I think if they can get some offensive line help, they can do better. And then I think Christian Ponder is still struggling. I mean, I think that you you have to have a little bit better quarterback play to go with that running of Adrian Peterson, who is still a fabulous player and can make things happen and, you know, probably will definitely be the comeback player of the year, I think. Well, either him or Peyton. I, I guess that's... That's a case where you have to give it to co-comeback players. I don't know how you can give it to Peyton or or give it to Adrian Peterson and not give it to the other guys. So I think both those guys should really get that award.
0: Yeah, I agree with you with Christian Ponder. I think those three guys are all taken um, with Jake Locker taken in the eighth pick of that draft, uh, Blaine Gabbert with the tenth pick, and then Christian Ponder with the twelfth pick. All three of those guys. Now, now uh, uh, obviously, uh, in Tennessee – Locker, we still, you know, he needs to play a little bit more. But Blaine Gabbard certainly appears that he's not headed in the right direction. And Ponder just doesn't seem to be getting any better. That would be a concern of mine.
1: Yeah, I think so. Especially, I think, when you look at some of the young guys now that that have, you know, jumped out and are playing well, that uh, freshman, he's in his sophomore year now. And and, uh, it looks like, you know, he looks like he may be still in his freshman year, rookie year.
0: You know, the Vikings had a lot of people are questioning. They had a third and two and a two uh, in, in a critical situation, and they they passed on both plays. And I think that's a legitimate question when you're sitting there with Adrian Peterson sitting behind you. Why would you not hand the ball off, at least in one of those situations? And I guess we have to talk a little bit about you do your preparation. Uh, you really don't find yourself in, in a true third and one, third and two, but once, maybe twice a game. Uh, on average, in the open field. So it's not like during the course of the game you have a lot to draw on to say, okay, we've done this on these couple of situations, now we're going to do that. It really does come down to your preparation during the week and, and what's on the top of your call sheet in that situation when you make those calls.
1: Yeah, because you normally have three plays. You have three plays at a third and one, you know, three plays that are third and three, and, and then you run either one of those if you're at third and two. I think that particularly because Ponder is not playing as well. You know, in some ways, you're you're not putting it in the hands of the guy who maybe gives you the best chance to have success. So even if you don't like it, maybe even if you have to repeat a play, maybe use different motion or something, but if even if you have to repeat it, you might feel like we have a better chance of having some success with that play with Adrian Peterson running the ball uh, than we would with Christian Ponder trying to pass the ball.
0: Yeah, and Minnesota's the team that even at 6-5 now, there's a vulnerability because they're at Green Bay, and then they got to play Chicago. They do get to play St. Louis, but they finish out with Houston and Green Bay. And you know Green Bay is going to have to be fighting to the end. They might hit a Houston Texans team that maybe hasn't solidified by then so they don't have to play out their starters. But that's not an easy road for the
1: Minnesota Vikings. No, not at all. Especially, I think with Chicago, what they have to try to get accomplished and and try to put some distance and stay ahead of you know Green Bay if they can if they can do that, I think they're going to come right down to it. And uh, you know, I think also there, there's going to be those teams like Atlanta that you know maybe they finish thirteen and three, fourteen and two, fifteen and one, but maybe they're also in that thirteen and three, twelve and four you know category. So uh, there's every reason to feel that Chicago is going to go all out that Green Bay is going to go all out. I think also still the dangerous team, you know, has to be, you know, New Orleans. That was not one of Drew Brees' better game. I thought he forced some things, but New Orleans is still that type of team. If there's going to be a team that's 9-7 and seven and that could somehow squeeze your way in, it could be an improved defensive team, which is New Orleans is improved defensively. They played better yesterday than they played before against San Francisco, even though they never shut them down. But I think that that that's that New Orleans team that could squeeze out that 9-7, and seven. I'm not sure the Vikings are that kind of team.
0: You know, it's interesting when you would bring up the offensive line because I, I had the
1: opportunity
0: and that I did not do a game this last weekend and I was just sitting and watching the games and bouncing around. The play of offensive line I think is going to be a huge determinant going down the way with so many teams because so many of them, and as you know better than I do, Coach, when you, when you come up a little short in the offensive line and you have an injury, that's probably one of the harder areas to get fixed in terms of finding somebody that can come off the street. And so many teams look vulnerable in the offensive line. You mentioned Minnesota. Chicago has not been settled in their offensive line all year long. You look at Green Bay, boy, between the injuries and the way they're playing, they, their offensive line makes Aaron Rodgers and that offense look like, look like an average offense at best.
1: And what it does, that, it puts everybody in jeopardy. It means that a back could get hurt, you know, because the offensive line is not doing their job. A quarterback could get hurt an extra hit. I mean, a lot of these guys are just get hit one time, and, and they've got the concussion aspect. So I think it does make a difference. And what you hope have happened is that you had a good training camp. Maybe you brought in 12 guys, and now there are four guys that you cut that all 12 of those guys really are NFL-caliber players. They're not all going to make your team but they're NFL caliber players. And then when you cut those guys, you say, hey, look, stay in shape. If we get an injury or something, we're going to look for you. So you keep nine, you cut three, and you hope that somewhere along the line, if you have to go get a player, you get three that know, one of those three that knows the system, knows how to play, has a size at least that you're looking for, and has the attitude. Now, there have been a lot of guys that have come off the street and stuck in there and played pretty well in the NFL. You have to hope that you have one of those guys.
0: Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a tough one to fill in at. And I'm amazed, Denny, as I do these games each week, how many teams actually even carry just eight guys on their roster. I've seen a couple teams that carry just seven offensive linemen on their roster. So that's, uh, that's a dicey situation to be in when all of a sudden a guy or two goes down. Uh, and, and I really do, as I was watching it yesterday, I think the play and the help of some offensive lines are going to be a big factor as we come down the stretch as to who can get into the playoffs and, and who can get hot.
1: Charlie Batch trying to bring the Steelers back from his own 26 back to pass. First down in the pocket, in the pocket throws Rainey caught it. 25, 30 out of a tackle, 35. Fumble. Oh. And the Proud, Browns have it
0: Phil again. Taylor. Phil Taylor's taylor got it at the 40 yard line. Oh my goodness. The Steelers can't hold on to the ball. Well, that means every back has fumbled a ball and they got four of them. Talk about teams that can get hot and get cold. A couple weeks ago when we did our podcast, I, I was singing the praises of the Pittsburgh Steelers. This was a confident team. They were getting healthy. They were running the ball like the Steelers of old. Uh, defensively, this was even without a Troy Polamalu. And, boy, it, it's amazing how quickly they've kind of gone off the tracks here. Beyond, obviously, when you lose a Ben Roethlisberger, I understand that. But their game against the Cleveland Browns, I mean, they had eight turnovers. Um I, I just I... This team looks like a totally different team.
1: Well, you know, and they were careless turnovers, too. I mean, two the first two turnovers, you know, running the ball, uh, fumbles, there was no reason to fumble the ball. I mean, it wasn't like there was one specific hit, or it wasn't like you're out in the open or something. You made a cut, and the guy came in from behind. They were runs that went in between two, three people. The guys were careless in how they were carrying the football, and, and the ball, you know, came out. I think Charlie Batch tried to make some things happen, and he wound up having a couple interceptions himself. But to have eight turnovers, turnovers and 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 i think so it does start and and with ben Roethlisberger. i think what we'll say is this you know i'm not not afraid to say it if rothensburg is there i think they can be a playoff team now they're going to fight with cincinnati right to the end i think it's going to be interesting because cincinnati all of a sudden now is going to go into san diego and feel like they have to have that win in order to get themselves a 75 no doubt about it but if rothensburg is there then i i think it will be a battle to the end and they can get in but if he's not there i don't think that pittsburgh can stay with cincinnati
0: yeah, and, and I misspoke. It wasn't eight turnovers. Eight fumbles and three interceptions. That's 11 turnovers. That's just, uh, it just was a sloppy game beyond the loss of their quarterback. It was a sloppy game by Pittsburgh against the team they normally play well against. It, uh, it just surprised me a little bit. And the teams they're playing, they got Baltimore this week, not an easy task, but all of them, virtually all of them, San Diego, Dallas, and Cincinnati are all in that wild card playoff hunt. So... Uh, it's going to be do or die for everybody in that situation, and uh, it was just—it was odd to see them play as sloppy as they did. Um, let's uh, let's let's talk about something that came up, Denny. We talked about it last week; it came up again this week. Jim Schwartz fell victim to it this week, compared to to Mike Smith uh, of the Atlanta Falcons last week, and that's a coach who threw the challenge flag at a time at either a scoring play or a turnover where there is an automatic. Um, replay in the booth and the very act of throwing the flag cost them not only the, the yardage, but it stopped the replay from proceeding. And I know there's a lot of talk around the league right now. Uh, Ray Anderson uh, in the league office, and I talked about it today, that the league is very seriously looking at whether they want to adjust that because I don't think it makes sense to anybody that a, flag, uh, a, a challenge flag mistakenly being thrown by a coach Fine if you want to penalize them, but let's still get it right. If the replay it should be turned over. Let's stay with what the right call should have been. Well, I
1: said last week that they passed this rule when the coaches are out playing golf in the league meetings in March, and I'll stick with that. I, I just don't see how you could have passed this rule. The whole idea, again, when the instant replay, coaches challenge, all that was to give us a game that is not decided by a mistake. We don't want to look up the next day for a whole week and say, hey, this call should not have been made, and that's the reason why this team lost this ball game. And now with this rule in the way it is. Now they're not. They're not. It's not about whether the call was right or wrong. It's whether or not the procedure of the flag was and and it's still there's still some questions that are going to come up simply because you know to say that you were calling it a touchdown what if he almost doesn't get in you know the knee hit the ground I mean there are a lot of things that take place but you know a guy jumps up and runs there are all kind of guys around him they could have tackled him I mean they really could have tackled him he takes off running and then by the time the guy figures out he's going to keep running then he decides to chase me a little bit but the bottom line is I'm hoping that the league will step in and say hey this was a rule that we put in we did didn't look at all of the ramifications, and that's what it means. When you you make a rule change, you have to look at all of the ramifications of it, and you have to do a lot of what-ifs, a lot of what-ifs, a lot of speculation, a lot of guesstimation has to go into place. And this is clearly a case now where two times now, two weeks in a row, we've had calls that were made that we didn't get it right.
0: Yeah, and I, I I agree. I think the league – use some good common sense here and I think they might very well do that mainly because this doesn't involve a lot of a lot of moving parts this is real simple okay we're no longer going to prevent the review from happening it's going to be a penalty and we're going to penalize it but we're going to allow the review to continue that's not real hard it's not like you're changing a rule where now you, you've told the players to act one way during Uh, One part of the game and now differently, or you're not asking for a whole lot of change other than a procedural change. It should be real easy
1: to change. Well, you can say unsportsmanlike conduct, and then you mark it off. You know what I mean? And so whatever the play is supposed to be, make it right, and then take your penalty That's something that you can always say to bench. If a guy runs out in the field from the bench, that's unsportsmanlike conduct. That's a penalty. And so that's the one thing I think that they could do that would still give you a chance to have it right, and it isn't like you're just picking up the fan saying it's no big deal. If you think that you really need to somehow penalize the coaches, then come with that one. How I see it, man. I think I think we need to. I think we to let our quarterback let our quarterback call these plays. You know what I mean? I think he can. He he's out there on the field. He sees the adjustments, sees what needs to be done, and uh, I think we should just just let him, you know, say make the adjustments on the go. I think that's when we can move the ball better. Um, he did it a little bit in the game, and uh, and we moved the ball. So that's how I feel about it.
0: Now, let's move on to a couple subjects. One, I know you feel very strongly about, as do I. Uh, and it comes up, it brought up a couple things. We're talking about Indianapolis continuing on their winning ways, big win against the Buffalo Bills, the struggles that Chan Gailey and the Buffalo Bills are having. Let's first begin with a player in this instance, Stevie Johnson, calling out his coach saying that maybe Chan Gailey should stop calling plays. Now, you've talked at length for a couple weeks about there comes a time when a head coach who calls the plays maybe has to step away from that because of the other obligations. So The concept of that is a valid one, but for a player to call it a coach that way, I just, it's, I know it's it's frustrating for you, as it is for me.
1: Yeah, I think that Stevie should not do that. I mean, and first off, if you have something to say, you should really, you know, say it to the coach himself. You go in and talk to the coach about it, or you go to to Fitzpatrick and say, hey, have you talked to the coach about maybe getting some more action? Uh, Can we do more at the line calls? I mean, there are a lot of ways that that you can do it. Uh, And you don't, you don't go by it, because now you go and you say, the coach should change, what if the coach wanted to change? Now, does that mean if he does change and no longer call him plays, does that mean that he's only doing it because Stevie Johnson said that he should not, and how does that affect the player? So anytime you, you do that, and, and I think Stevie Johnson knows you, you shouldn't do that. I mean, I you do. I think probably it came about because the team is 4-7. and seven. And so, because the teams four and seven, then all of a sudden players think that they can take take liberties. But I, I personally have always felt that the head coach who's and there have been a few that have done it. I mean, Bill Walsh is great at it, and Mike McCarthy, I guess, is very good at it. And you know, there's some guys that are pretty good at it. But but for the most part, you know, I think that the that the head coach should not get caught up calling the plays. I, I think that it's very difficult to say that you are in, got your finger and your pulse on the whole. Team, offense, defense, and special teams if you're consumed with the every single play calls of the offense. And there there are very few guys that have been able to really make that work. I think the other thing it does, too, it, a lot of times it puts that pressure that, well, maybe we're better off hiring defensive coaches. You know what I mean? We're now we don't have to worry about it because some so many times the head coaches are married to a play call. And they come in, they were a coordinator. That's fine. I'm glad you're a coordinator. Now you get a head job. Now be a head coach, not an offensive coordinator. And if you get an offensive coordinator who wants to be the coordinator – and the head coach, and the quarterback coach, and it doesn't go well. I think they go downhill faster, you know, than if a guy is the higher guy as a defensive coordinator, and now he obviously is not going to call offensive plays. He's not going to call defensive plays either. He's going to try to have control of the offense, defense, and special teams. So I think this is something that's going to pop up more and more as time goes on because of – North Turner at the Chargers because of Jason Garrett at Dallas. I think those are the two guys, you know, maybe that that have the highest profile teams who have held on to their play calling throughout their reign and have not been able to get their teams over the hump.
0: Yeah. As you know, it's hard to give up that guru card, though. You know, you, you all <laughs> like to think of yourself and think of ourselves in a certain way. The thing that I bring into question, and I've lived it, I, I started out calling the plays and turned it over to my coordinator once I felt like, they had the basic vision and idea of how I want the offense run uh, and then had to take it back late in my career, which it turned out well for that year. But as you know, I mean, as head coach, you're held responsible for a lot of things. But then as the coordinator, you know, there's about 1,100 calls right. you're going to make a year. And that's a lot to be criticized for. And if they begin to question your ability then, then they begin to question your ability as a head coach as well, and you lose some of that credibility that maybe you need at the most critical time to hold on to as a head coach to get a team through those tough times.
1: Right. And I think also the relationship is I think it's more difficult to be as tight with the defensive players as you want to be if they view you as the offensive coordinator.
0: Yeah, let's, uh, you know, let's move on to a, another interesting when you talk about uh, people speaking out from the organization. Uh, Rob Ryan in, in uh, Dallas, of course, was, was guaranteeing a win on Thanksgiving Day. Against right. The rival in Redskins. And uh, that's fine. You love the r- bravado. He and his brother, Rex Ryan. Rex was with me for a number of years and said the season at the beginning of the season, this is the best team that he's ever had. <laughs> and he now sits four and seven. Um, and that's not going to stop those guys. I imagine both are going to say, "You know, nope, we're going to win it. We're going to go to the playoffs because, okay, what, you, what am I? What are you going to do if I'm wrong? Shoot me." <laughs> but at some point, there again, doesn't your your credibility become put in question, and people just begin to tune you out? And I can't imagine an assistant coach. I can't imagine what that does to a Jason Garrett when it seems all we hear from in Dallas is from Jerry Jones and Rob Rob uh, Rob Ryan.
1: Well, I think that's what makes it difficult, and that's why I think it's important for uh, Jason. Right now, that team at, at five and six – I don't think it's it's a bad idea for him to say, you know what, I'm no longer going to call plays. I'm going to get our team in the playoffs. I'm going to focus on offense and on defense and on special teams, not just on the offense. Because remember now, Rob Ryan works for Jason Garrett. It's not it's not like all the players on defense work for Rob Ryan and they don't work for Jason Garrett. Are we, are we sure about that? <laughs> well, I, I think on paper that's the way it's supposed to be. And I think that's, that's important because, you know, they, they, they've been doing it the same way. They haven't quite had the success that they that they should have <clears throat> and so i think it's going to be important for them to do that so anyway but let's finish up Brian, with the tea, with the thursday night football preview simply because it's it's the team who you've been touting all year as the falcons you know what i mean and the saints who gave them their only loss of the year in one game and so here they are again this time not in new orleans this time in atlanta
0: yeah, and I think that's a big difference. We know that Atlanta is so good at home. Both these teams have vulnerabilities now. We saw it defensively for the Saints. They've gotten a little bit better. Part of the problem was, and you alluded to it earlier, Denny, that uh, th- that defense can't afford to have Drew Brees turn the ball over. It just, you can't put, they have a tough enough time. You put an offense on a short field, puts a lot of pressure. And So Drew Brees, that's a lot to put on a quarterback as well, particularly as aggressive as they are. But the Falcons at home, are very, very good. They're very, very confident. I'm most concerned about the Falcons' running game. Each right. week I keep saying, you know what, they can be a good running team, but they uh, they need to start getting it cranked up, and right now they don't seem to be able to get that thing going.
1: Well, you know what, they haven't uh, made the emphasis maybe, I think, because when you got Julio Jones, you got Gonzalez, You got Roddy White, they're throwing the ball so well, Matt Ryan's playing well. I don't think that they felt the desperate need to run the football like they have in the past. And so it could be the evolution of Matt Ryan that now that's what they've evolved to. But to close it out, I just think that they're going to need that running game this Thursday because Drew Brees can be, uh, you know, he can be like a little snake and bite you.
0: Well, these teams did play in Week 10, and the Saints won 31-27, giving the Falcons their first loss. It's going to be a great game. Well, that's going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to nfl.com slash podcast. Also, be sure to catch the Coach's Show on NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening, everybody.